You're listening to teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. Amen. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, uh, my name is Anthony. I get the privilege of serving as pastor here at Midtown Two Notch. If you are visiting with us, we're very glad that you're here. Excited that you chose to worship with us this morning. We counted a privilege to have your presence with us. Uh, if you are new, hopefully we were able to get one of our bulletins to you. Uh, we would love for you. I believe we have the sign and drop on the bottom of those. We would love for you to fill that out if we have that on the bulletin and drop that in the offering basket when it comes around at the end of our time together today. We'd love to just get to know you a little bit better and acknowledge that you joined us today for worship. Uh, we're in the beginning of a brand new series that we're just calling The Life of David. We're calling The Life of David. I believe David is a very interesting character to study, interesting and beneficial. Uh, David is the Old Testament uh, hero, so to speak, who was referred to, I believe, more than, referred to in the New Testament, I believe, more than any other Old Testament character. He is a, a forefather of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's a man of great highs and great lows as well. One of the things that we'll definitely see about his life is that even though he had many successes and victories, he had many failures and weaknesses as well. David is someone that you can relate to no matter where you find yourself, no matter your, your status in life. David, in his life, he experienced a lower status as he grew up as a shepherd boy overlooked by his father and his brothers, and he knows what it is to be of high status as well as he was crowned as king over God's people. He knows what it is to experience oppression as before he was crowned and before his, his, his kingdom was consummated in the earth, he was hunted down as the king over Israel sought to kill him. He understands oppression and privilege. He understands fame and applause, and he understands what it is to be looked down on and despised. He understands both power and weakness. Again, he's a man of great spiritual maturity, as he is called the one who was after God's own heart. But he also experienced great failings, which we'll get into in this series as well. David is unique. He was a strong warrior and fighter. He was also an artist and a songwriter. He was a leader of men in battle, and he was also a man who was very in touch with his emotions. David doesn't fit into many boxes that we might have and ascribe to today. In the first half of this series, and this week and the two weeks following, I want us to really focus in, focus in on David's emotional life. I believe we have a lot to learn as David processes his emotions throughout the Psalms and other parts of the Scriptures as well. In these first three weeks, I want us as a church to grow in our understanding of mental and emotional health. I believe this is one thing that the church in general too often oversimplifies or overgeneralizes. And when there are mental and emotional issues, oftentimes the solution presented by the church is, is, is too small. It's, it's not thorough enough. It's not full enough, not nuanced enough. Oh, if you just pray about it, you'll be okay. Oh, just memorize or meditate on this scripture and you will be all right. For this reason, 
on October 10th, that is, I believe, Thursday of this week, we're having our mental health seminar. I believe you got a flyer of that. Amen. Amen. We have Dr. McGee. She'll be coming and, and helping us out and giving us a bit of a, of a talk on mental health. How do, we, how do we view and think about our own mental health and maybe mental illness and what do we do? And also, what do we do when, we, when our loved ones are dealing with mental issues and mental health and emotional health issues as well? Please come. Bring your mom and them. Bring everybody. I think it's going to be, what's it, 6.30 on there? I believe 6.30 this Thursday. We'll love for you to join us for that. So speaking of being mentally and emotionally whole and prospering, one of the things that we have to do effectively in order to take care of ourselves mentally and emotionally is allow ourselves to experience life as it actually is, not as we pretend it to be. It is very easy for us oftentimes to live in denial of different realities in our life. It's very easy for us to, to pretend, maybe, maybe to, to suppress or press down in us different feelings that we have or just not allow ourselves to experience life as it actually is. I think generally when people talk about this, we're talking about the, the negative feelings, the sadness, the grief that we experience on an ongoing basis. Oftentimes we don't want to actually deal with those things, so we press them down and ignore them and live in denial of them as if they aren't there. David doesn't do that, as we'll see in the Psalms in this series. But there's also another category for the times that we live as if we're in denial of the reality of our lives. I believe oftentimes we also live as if all of the blessings that God gives us also are not true. We live as if we're in denial, like we aren't able to see, understand, process, experience, and celebrate all the blessings that God has given us as well, I believe at times we live as if the, the, the horrible, horrific things in this world are not true. And oftentimes we also live as if the, the, the hundreds and thousands of blessings that God has given us aren't real as well. In our broken states, we tend to not live in and embrace reality, which causes us to be unhealthy, unwhole, mentally and emotionally. Today I want to talk on the Christian practice of gratitude. The Christian practice of gratitude. I would describe it as the practice of acknowledging all of the blessings that you have. It is the reasonable response of the heart to truly being blessed with something or by something. It is the heart's celebration of the blessings it has experienced. It's what I felt in my heart yesterday when I stepped outside and my face wasn't melting. And the skin was not melting off of my face when I stepped outside. When I said, thank you, God, it's like the, the short E sound changed to an A-W. It was like, thank you, God. It, it was gratitude that I experienced. I, it changes the way I pronounce words. I don't know what it does for you. This was gratitude. Just that my face was not melting when I stepped outside. David, amen, David in his Psalms expresses gratitude and thanksgiving to God very frequently. And we see that gratitude is a matter of the heart. We see it in Psalm chapter 9, verse 1. He says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. He says the same thing in Psalm 86, verse 12. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart. Psalm 138, verse 1, same thing. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. David is saying gratitude and thanksgiving are, is an issue or our issues of the heart. He's saying, God, I'm thanking you with everything that I have, that I am invested 
in offering thanksgiving to you and practicing gratitude. And I want to tell you today that is a worthwhile investment to pursue whatever allows us to truly experience and express gratitude is a worthwhile investment that I believe will benefit you mentally and emotionally as we just celebrate the realities of how God has blessed us. My, uh, my two boys, my twin boys, they started first grade this year. So we had our first ever parent-teacher conference. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what questions to ask. I was just, I was just there, right? And so we get there, and the teacher just, just has nothing but good things to say about them. They're doing all the right things. They're learning well and all of this. And I was so excited. So we, uh, we got them, I think we got them pizza that evening because uh, their behavior was so good. I, I played video games with them, which I don't get to play all the time. And we even stayed up late playing with some of their favorite toys because I was just so, I wanted to affirm their behavior. I wanted to affirm them to continue to do what they were doing. And every time I told them what we were going to be doing that day, the, I saw gratitude well up in them. I mean, I could see it in their bodies. I mean, they were like jumping up and down. They ran up to me, grabbed me, squeezed me. I got to see the delight that gratitude causes in someone's heart. I got to see how enjoyable of an experience gratitude actually is. As they said, thank you over and over and over. It made me feel good. And the gratitude in them was a blessing to them as well. They felt good. It's a pleasurable experience to actually be grateful. It's a worthwhile investment. It's a huge blessing to be able to experience gratitude for your blessings. A grateful person is a joyful person. A grateful person is oftentimes generous because they're so content with what they've been blessed with and what they have. They don't always feel like they need more I saw a quote that said, gratitude turns what we have into enough. Come on now. Gratitude turns what we have into enough. Practicing gratitude leads to much peace, much joy. It's incredibly helpful and healthy for us mentally, spiritually, and emotionally. It's the posture of one who actually understands the blessings that God has given them, that lives in reality as it actually is. Now, the opposite of gratitude is ingratitude. It's the inability or refusal to acknowledge the blessings that God has actually given us. It's the inability to celebrate the realities of all that God has blessed us with. It's the, it's the posture of the one that thinks their, their blessings aren't as good as they actually are. They can't see it. They can't understand it. They're in denial of how blessed they actually are. Ungrateful people are going to experience, and I'm going to say unnecessary, sadness, discontentment, and even bitterness because they refuse to acknowledge how blessed they actually are. They're often given to covetousness, which I preached on a few weeks ago, because they feel like what they have isn't enough. Unable and unwilling to celebrate and rejoice in the blessings that we actually have in real life hurt us in the end, and I would say harm us mentally and emotionally. Those who are ungrateful seem to be often consumed by the desire to have more, tend to complain about their lives even when they have been blessed with much more than others have, and they often feel justified in feeling this way, often feel justified in not being grateful, and they are often the source of their own discontentment. I can tell you that if you aren't grateful for the blessings past and present, what makes you think you'll be grateful for blessings that you achieve in the future or that you receive in the future, I should say. 
If you can't be grateful for what you have now, oftentimes the thing that you're hoping for that you think will make you grateful, you won't find the gratitude in your heart that you think will be there because gratitude is often cultivated. It's not something that we just find or stumble on when our circumstances change. At least sustained gratitude. That is sure, you might get the thing that you've been wanting. We've all been there before, and a week later, you're not even grateful for it anymore. You don't even care about it the same way you used to. It's not that you were practicing consistent gratitude. You just like new things. You just like having something different, something fresh, something that seems exciting. You haven't actually practiced gratitude towards the Lord for what he has done or who he is. You You just like new stuff. I want you to think about Adam and Eve for a second. They should have been extremely grateful for what all, had blessed, what all God had blessed them with. In the scriptures, you'll see that the Garden of Eden was placed in between the Tigris and the Euphrates River. My geography experts in here will know that that's one of the most fertile parts of the earth called the Fertile Crescent. Well, God had provided for their needs. They had so much food for them to eat. They had good work and purpose in life, but yet they allowed themselves to be deceived by the enemy that caused them to believe that all that wasn't enough that they actually needed more, that the blessings that God had given them actually was not enough for them. God was holding back. They needed more. They became ungrateful. They weren't practicing gratitude. And as is often the case, when we don't practice gratitude, they became blind to what they actually had to the point where it was not enough to just celebrate what God had given them. They needed more. Satan schemed to convince them that the physical provision and the spiritual provision and oversight that God had provided for them was not enough for them. They became ungrateful. I don't want that to happen to us. I don't want that to be the story of us individually, of our church. So I want us to to walk through some of the Psalms of David as he is expressing gratitude. We're just going to make some observations about gratitude together. And then I want to encourage us in how we might practice and pursue sustained gratitude. First Psalm I want to read, I already mentioned it. Psalm chapter 9, verse 1. I will give thanks to the Lord. This is David writing. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all your wonderful deeds. When we look at David in the Psalms, it seems that gratitude and praise are inseparable. My first observation about gratitude is that gratitude walks hand in hand with praise, specifically praising God. Gratitude walks hand in hand with praise. I actually was trying to find a psalm of David where all he was doing was was just thanking God without finding the word praise in there, and I couldn't find it. I couldn't find it. It seems in David's understanding of, of gratitude, praise is always right there, that they walk hand in hand with one another. It seems clear that to David, pursuing and achieving consistent gratitude will necessarily involve praising God. Praising God, or as it is sometimes called in the Bible, blessing God, it always blesses us. Praising God is one of the most powerful ways to cultivate gratitude in your heart. This is one of the reasons it's so important that we come together and we sing praises together every single week. It's one of the reasons it's important that you praise God in your own prayer life. It's one of the the reasons that that it's important for us to keep our eyes on who God is. It will help us to be grateful praising God. He, he, he loves it when we praise him, but also it blesses us. It helps produce consistent gratitude in us. It helps us to remain grateful for who he is and what 
he has done. Christian, don't expect your heart to be consistently full of gratitude if your mouth isn't consistently full of praise towards God. Don't expect gratitude to be overflowing in your heart if it's not coming out of your mouth. Praising God is a powerful tool in our pursuit of gratitude. To make our next observation about gratitude, I want to go to Psalm 69, verses 30 and 31. In verse 30, David writes, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. Our next observation about gratitude is that gratitude magnifies the Lord. Gratitude magnifies the Lord. Magnifying something helps you to see it as bigger and greater than the way you previously saw it. It helps you to see it as being more than the way that you previously saw it to be. And that's extremely important for at least a couple reasons. One reason is our hearts are oftentimes elevating other things over God. Idolatry is a problem of not seeing God as big enough as we love and enjoy other things more than God. What we need is to magnify God in our hearts, that we will see him as big as he actually is, as glorious as he actually is. And when he is not magnified in our hearts, we will innately and always run to other things to try to satisfy us because we have made God up to be too small. David is showing us here that he will magnify God with thanksgiving. God blesses us with many things, but the greatest blessing he gives us is himself. The greatest thing that he gives us is himself, and we are not able to actually appreciate him and be grateful for him giving us himself if we are not offering thanksgiving to God in a way that magnifies him. We won't be able to enjoy him the way that we ought to because we'll see him as being too small. And we'll actually start believing foolishness like, well, I actually love money more than God. Money's actually more important to me than God is. We'll actually, start, we'll actually start pursuing relationships with other people more than we pursue a relationship with God because we have not magnified him and he has become small in our eyes. David says, I will magnify him with thanksgiving. When we magnify him, we can look at him and think or say, God, you are more merciful than anyone or anything else that I've ever heard of. You are compassionate to me in all of my pain." When we magnify him, we're able to say and believe things like, God, you're in control of my life and you're good and I can trust you and your plans more than I can trust me and my plans for my life. So I want to follow you. When we magnify him, we're able to look at him and believe, God, you're powerful, so powerful that you can even work and use the painful things in my life out for my good and your glory, but only if he is magnified in our hearts. If he is not magnified, then we'll put our trust in our circumstances and our hope will will fluctuate up and down depending on how things in our life are going at the time. David says, I will magnify him with thanksgiving, that as he gives thanks to God, he is magnifying who God is in his mind and in his heart. Practicing thanksgiving and gratitude helps us to fight against idolatry and grow as worshipers of the true and living God because it reminds us of who he really is. We'll move on to verse 31, same chapter. David talks about this offering, this thanksgiving to God. Verse 31, he says, this will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hooves. My next observation is that gratitude pleases the Lord. Gratitude pleases the Lord. See, God had ordained his people back then that they would, part of the way that they worshiped him 
and, and show their trust for God was by offering animals like oxes to God. Now, to us, that doesn't sound very important or significant. For them, they needed oxes and animals like that in order for them to be able to work the fields in an agricultural society that they lived in. So when they would offer those things as sacrifices to God, they're saying, God, I trust you to provide for me. So this was a very important thing that they used to do. But David is saying, actually, God is more pleased with a heart that is grateful to him than those sacrifices. He prefers that our hearts will just truly overflow with gratitude to him. And that, that the time that I was telling you about with my sons, when they were extremely grateful for the things that I was, I was giving them, because of my love for them, I love to see their hearts full of gratitude. It, God is pleased, I believe, when we are thankful to him. I believe that makes him feel good, but I believe he's also pleased because he knows what gratitude does for us, how more healthy and whole we are, how much more joy and peace we experience when we actually have gratitude in our hearts. Our God is a good father that loves to see us be mindful of and aware of all of the blessings that he has given us. He is pleased when we are grateful to him. For our next observation, we'll look at Psalm 108, verses 3 through 4. He says, I will give Thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations, for your steadfast love is great above the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Our next observation is gratitude spreads God's fame. Gratitude spreads God's fame. He's saying that because of God's vast love and faithfulness, he's going to give thanks and praise God. And when he says among the nations, he's talking about among those who do not know who God is. He's not just talking about around the people of God in Israel. He says, I'm going to praise you and give thanks to you among the nations, he says. He's saying that by praising and thanking God, he's going to testify to those who do not know him how good God actually is. Listen, if you have a problem, sharing the love of Christ with those that do not know him. I would argue that you have a gratitude problem. I would argue that you have a problem of ingratitude because I believe the things that you are most grateful for, those who know you, they probably know about it. They probably heard about it before because that's what happens when we are grateful. It overflows through our words, through our speech, because it's such a matter of the heart. It's so much easier to share Christ with those around us when we're consistently walking in real, legitimate, consistent gratitude towards him. It, it arms us as missionaries. It equips us to actually portray and communicate who he is to those who do not know him. So much easier to consistently share Christ when we are consistently grateful towards him. I want to read a verse or a couple of verses that I've read before and then pull another observation out of it. Psalm 69, verse 30 through 31. I'll read it again. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hooves. Now, to fully understand what is actually going on in the weight of those verses, we got to go back to the beginning of the chapter. So now I want to read Psalm 69, verses 1 through 4. Same chapter. Listen to what David is saying. Save me, O God. For the waters have come up to my neck. Right? Metaphorically, thinking, metaphorically speaking, he's saying that he is drowning. He says, I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. He's saying, God, I, I'm drowning here in this circumstance, in this situation that I am currently 
And verse 3, I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. He says, God, you ever just been tired of crying? That's where David is right now as he writes this. Crying so much that he is weary. He said, my throat is parched. Like my, my throat is dry because of all the crying that I've been doing. I'm weary. I'm just tired of crying. He says, my eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. God, I'm tired of waiting for you to show up in this area in my life. This is where David is when he writes this psalm. Here's the observation I want to pull out from this passage. Gratitude can coexist with suffering and pain. Gratitude can coexist with suffering and pain. When David wrote those words about God being pleased with his thanksgiving, is in a time in his life where he feels like he is drowning, where he's weary because he has cried so much, when he is tired of crying out to God because he's in so much distress, he's tired of waiting on the Lord. A little more insight into his situation. Verse 4, he says, More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Mighty are those who would destroy me, those who attack me with lies. He's saying, God, people are out here trying to destroy me. And by the end of the psalm, he's offering thanksgiving to God because thanksgiving and gratitude can coexist with pain and suffering. You've got to understand some of the suffering that David endured in his life. I mentioned a little bit earlier that even though the prophet had come to him and told him, hey, David, you're going to be king one day. Even though that promise was already made, he wasn't, he wasn't officially consummated as king yet. And so King Saul gets jealous of him and starts chasing after him with his army trying to kill David. David knows suffering and pain. Not only that, later in David's life, his son, his son, Absalom, steals the kingdom from him, and then with his army comes after David to try to kill him as well. David is familiar with suffering. David is familiar with pain. David continues to practice gratitude in the middle of it. That it is possible to pursue and cultivate gratitude in the middle of pain and suffering. Even though we thank God for the many circumstantial blessings we have, We must remember that the horrible things that happen to us in our lives do not mean that we can't still be grateful to God for the blessings that we do have. We live in a world right now where our world is broken, yet Christ has come to redeem us and take us back to him. So we have these realities at play, the reality that this world is broken, and we have many things that we have to grieve. We have lost many things. We've taken many losses in this life. And at the same time, our God is still good to us. If you're going to practice consistent gratitude, you have to be able to think about and pursue gratitude in the midst of difficulty because the difficulty is not going away until we go to be with him. Until we go to live with our God, there will be difficulty in our lives. There will be pain. There will be stress. There will be anxiety. Might we be like David, that even in the times when we're tired of crying out to God, that even in the times when we're tired of crying, that even in the times that we feel like we are drowning in this life, that we will continue to offer thanks to God. And I believe that as we do so, we actually are able to pursue and play a significant role in cultivating our own spiritual, mental, and physical health. Why? Because we are experiencing life as it actually is. We're not allowing the difficulties to cause us to believe that we're not being blessed by God at the same time. 
We're not allowing the pains to deceive us into thinking that God is not blessing us at this current time. If we are to truly walk in gratitude, we can't just throw in the towel of fighting for joy in the Lord because bad things have happened to us. And I don't know, maybe you're here and you're thinking, and I don't have anything to be grateful for. If you're a Christian, that's where you are today. I want to say this to you lovingly. The enemy has deceived you just like he deceived Adam and Eve in the garden. He's caused you to forget the goodness of your God. And that'll lead us to our next observation about gratitude that we learn from David in the psalm. Psalm 56, verse 12 through 13. David writes, I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from failing, that I may walk before God in the light of life. Here's my last observation about gratitude. It is a result of remembering God's salvation. It is a result of remembering God's salvation. For most of us in this room, we pretty much always have temporary circumstantial reasons to be grateful in this life. But you also always have eternal reasons to be grateful. Yeah, Adam messed up in the garden, and ever since then, we have a lot of hurts, we have a lot of pain, we have a lot of, lot of things to grieve and be sad about. And since Adam sinned, we have a lot of things in our lives that are difficult and make it difficult for us to remember all the blessings that we have. But there is another man that in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul calls the last Adam. You might know him by the name Jesus. He came and gave us reason to rejoice and be grateful. And here's something that's very important for, for us to understand. For the Christian to live in ingratitude, so to be ungrateful instead of practicing gratitude, is to live as if the failure of Adam is greater than the victory of Jesus. For us not to practice gratitude is to live as if the death that resulted from Adam's mistake is greater than the life we get from Jesus' perfect life of righteousness. To, to, to practice ungratefulness instead of gratitude is to believe that the brokenness of your sin is greater than the healing and restoration that you find in Jesus. It's to believe that the curse of sin is more powerful to destroy than the blessing of Christ is to redeem and restore us. It is to believe that you have lost more because of what the first Adam did than you gained because of what the last Adam did. If we practice ingratitude, we have been deceived by the enemy into thinking that God isn't as gracious as he claims to be, that he isn't as good as he says that he is. Here's what I would like to do. I want to just take a few moments to, before I close, remind us of just a few of the blessings that we have in the last Adam. I'm just going to rattle off a few of them for us, just, just that we might remember what we have. Because I know there are many things that occur in our world that might cause us to forget just how blessed we actually are. Number one, he blesses us with forgiveness. Even though we have sinned against and offended our Lord, our faults are no longer counted against us, which means from a relational standpoint, even though we have sinned against him, he loves us and desires relationship with us as if we have never sinned against him. As Ephesians chapter one, it says in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. He also blesses us with justification. 
where forgiveness is from a relational sense, God doesn't hold anything against us. Justification is from a legal sense that even though he's the king and the judge and we sin against him, he came and died in our place so that we are seen as not guilty when we stand before a holy and just God. Romans says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. But not only does he justify us, but he also gives us reconciliation at the same time. Not only do, do, do we, are we forgiven and are we justified, but we're reconciled to him that we were lost. We were lost. We did not know him. We did not want him. We weren't looking for him. And he reconciled us to him that we might know him. Romans 5 says, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. That nothing ever can separate us from God today or for eternity. He also blesses us with sanctification. I got a few seminary words for you today. He also blesses us with sanctification. Jesus says that all who practice sin are enslaved to sin in John chapter 8. He follows it up two verses later and says, but if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That sin comes in and it enslaves us, it controls us, it puts us in its bondage. But if we have been set free by the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, and the fact that he has sent his Holy Spirit to indwell us, then we can walk in the freedom that he has created us to experience. But it's not just sanctification. He also blesses us another seminary term, expiation. Psalms 103 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. For his, 2 Corinthians 5 says, for our sake he made him who knew no sin to become sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Expiation is the fact that God has lifted our guilt off of us, that he has lifted our shame off of us and put it onto himself. But it's not just expiation. There's another side to that coin. We call it imputation then not only does he take our sin and our guilt away from us, but he takes his perfect righteousness, the very righteousness of God, and he puts it on us, that we stand before our God looking as righteous as God looks in his eyes. But it's not just imputation. It's also a thing we call propitiation. Propitiation is when someone pays the necessary price to make everything right when there's an offense or a debt. Propitiation is saying that Jesus Christ, he came and you, you've been here before when someone has hurt you, when someone has harmed you, there's something that, that is wrong. Something has to be done. There needs to be a conversation. Something has to take place. There's, there's, it's not cheap forgiveness that he offers us, but instead he comes in and suffers and dies and is condemned in our place to satisfy the punishment for our sin. But he doesn't just die for our sin, but he also adopts us into his family. He doesn't just handle the problem of our sin. If he would have done that, that would have been enough. But he doesn't just do that. But he says, no, 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 no. After I clean you up, I want you in my family now. I want you to be my son now. I want you to be my daughter now. I want you to be with me. I don't want you to just be a servant. I want you in the family, in the house with me. God the Father sent his son to die that we all might become sons and daughters of God. He also gives us what we call regeneration. Ephesians chapter 2 says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together in Christ. The problem with sin is not just that we were guilty. It's not just that we have been separated from God. But the Bible says that we were spiritually dead 
And regeneration is the fact that, as Jesus said in John chapter 3, we have been born again, that we are no longer slaves to sin. But the way way Romans chapter 6 talks about it, he says we actually used to be dead to God, but now we're actually dead to sin and alive to God because we have been regenerated and given new life in him. But he doesn't just stop there. Not only does he give us regeneration, he gives us what I'm going to call recreation. As in 2 Corinthians 5, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed and behold, the new has come. In Romans 6, he says, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God, we too might walk in newness of life. We've been born again, but it's not just that we've been born again. We've been made into something different in this new life. That we didn't just, we weren't just born again as the exact same as we were when we were spiritually dead, but we have been made new in him. And that's extremely important. Partially because of my next point that I want to put before us that we might remain grateful, and that is what we call glorification. In Philippians chapter 3, it says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to subject all things under himself will transform our lowly bodies into his glorious body. So not just have we been born again and not just have we been made new, but we're going to go on to glory to be with him where even these bodies that break down, these bodies that ache, these bodies that have imbalances and pains and illness will be glorified and will be like his body. And there's one more thing that I want to point out. It's not just glorification, but it's also restoration. If you're familiar with Revelation chapter 21, you'll see that there, when Jesus comes back, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. That there's going to be a new creation where he restores all things. But we saw also in 2 Corinthians that we become a new creation. So God is at work reversing the curse, making all things right, making this new creation. And he's already made you new if you are in him. He's already started this process of this new creation that he is making because sin distorted the first creation that he had. So he comes in and he saves you. And now we see when we see what happens at the very end is that he is going to make everything new, that he is going to restore everything, that every bit of pain and suffering and grief that you've suffered will be nothing more than a distant memory, that all the sickness, the heartache, the disappointment, the hospital visits, the loneliness, the insecurity, the anxiety, the depression, the injustice, all the sadness are all taken away because he is going to restore everything to the way that it was before the first Adam sinned against him. Christian, you have so much to be grateful for. It is a denial of reality for the Christian to be blessed in this way and still not be grateful. It's a denial of the truth. It's living a lie. We are harming ourselves if we do not practice consistent gratitude because we have so much to be eternally grateful for no matter what happens in this life. That he has given us more than enough for us to walk in gratitude. That he has given us more than enough than for us to walk around discontent because we're ungrateful because the enemy has blinded us to all the blessings that God has given us. He has blessed us richly. He has blessed us richly, and he asks us, he asks us and expects us to live in light of that new reality, in light of all that he has done for us. Let us pursue gratitude. Let us pursue hearts of thanksgiving. In just a few moments, we're going to go to the communion table. I have one request as we do this in remembrance of him, that we go to the table grateful today. 
that we go to the table knowing that the elements, the, the broken bread that represents the broken body of Jesus and the juice that represents his shared blood, that we remember that this is why we are grateful that he came and did this for us. And this is more important than any other difficulty or any amount of suffering or grief that we have ever experienced it's because he is coming to make everything right and restore everything to the way that he intended it to be. Let's approach the table grateful today with hearts full of gratitude, hearts that acknowledge what he has done for us, hearts that acknowledge his goodness, hearts that are willing to celebrate what he has done for us as we partake together. And after that, we'll continue to sing praises to our God, remembering, remembering that praise walks hand in hand with gratitude. Let me pray for us. Father, we are thankful. We are grateful, and we ask that you make us even more grateful as we remember you. That through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would, you would not just birth, but continue to cultivate and continue to grow our gratitude towards you. Father, would you keep this, this time of communion together just from being a thing that, that we do that becomes just a, a tradition that doesn't have any meaning? Will you help us to approach the table grateful today? Just remembering and acknowledging and celebrate the beautiful and glorious realities that we have in you. Father, would you rid us of the lies that we believe that lead us to discontentment that comes from not being grateful to you for all the blessings that you have given us? We thank you for the greatest blessing, which is yourself, that we're able to have because you came and gave your life for us. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.